really good to see you. Uh, glad that you are here. A special welcome again to you if this is your first time at RUF or one of your first times. Um, thanks for taking the time on a Wednesday night when you could be doing a lot of other things and coming to spend with us. Uh, we're privileged to have you with us. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm the campus minister here. If I don't know you, I would, I would love to get to know you. Um, tonight we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 if you have a Bible and you know where 2 Corinthians is. If not, you can look in your handout. We also have Bibles on the back table. If you don't have a Bible and want to take one, just take it. It's free. Um, before we uh, get into what I want to talk about tonight, um, I just want to say quickly, uh, as you guys know, the last semester and now coming into this semester have been particularly uh, difficult and sad for our campus. A lot of students... Um, gone, and then just last week, losing two more students, and um, I guess what I want to say is, if, if you have come tonight, and you are hurting, or you are struggling with something that you feel like, there's just like no one I can talk to about that, number one, we are, just, are thrilled that you're here, I'm thrilled that you're here, know that this group can be a place that's safe for you to not like perform and put on a face for everybody, okay? That you can come here. There are people that want to know you, want to love you. And um, I hope that if there's nowhere else for you to go, and even if there is other places for you to go, that you will find a home here and feel like that you belong. And we're really, really happy that you're here. Um, don't feel like you've got to perform for us. Um, and also, on a lighter announcement, uh, my boss is here. John, put up your hand. Every, every head turns. That's John Pearson, the illustrious John P- Pearson. He was an RUF campus minister at Washington and Lee University in Lexington, Virginia. And now he takes care of my needy self and really happy to have him. So talk to John, say hey to him um, tonight. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians. We're, doing the, we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes this semester. We're going to start it the week after next. Just kind of an, an interesting, funky Old Testament book. But before we do that... New Year, it's a great time to sort of get back to what really matters, get back to the basics. Um, And before we start on a book that can be a little bit quirky, I really wanted to spend a couple of weeks asking some basic questions that are really sort of the root questions. And last time I spoke, we talked about what's true, how do I I know what's true? And tonight, I want to talk about guilt. Uh, Namely, what do we do with our guilt? Um... Everyone in here has guilt. This is not a Christian thing or a religious thing. I in no way assume that everyone in here is a Christian or a religious person or knows where they are on those things. But guilt is a universal phenomenon that all of us deal with. And uh, there was a Pew study. I mentioned this last semester, but there was a Pew study done recently where they asked people, what technological innovation do you want to see in your lifetime? Okay. So, you know, like flying cars, lightsabers, these kinds of things. And um, the most popular answer was of the ability to time travel. It was the same percentage as the ability to have great health. Okay? Those two things were the same um, response. And most of the people that were interviewed said they want to go back in time. They didn't want to go into the future, but they wanted a time machine to go back in time. Because the reality is all of us, everybody in this room, has something that when you look back on it, you get that, that kind of yucky feeling in your stomach. Something you did, something you didn't do, something you said, something you didn't say. 
Um, and, and that applies to you whether you're a Christian or not. I remember sitting right where you are, 18, 19 years old, not a Christian, um, and doing things that I felt really yucky about, but in my mind I was totally convinced that they were okay and there was nothing wrong with doing them, yet I felt torn up with this guilt. And the Bible comes to us and says, the reason why we have guilt, sort of the, the ultimate source of that guilt, is the fact that we have a broken relationship with the God who made us. And we are guilty before him. We have guilt with him. You guys know how guilt can complicate a relationship? Maybe, you're, maybe your mom calls you and leaves you a message and says, you haven't called me for a while. Um, and you're like, man, I really can't wait to call you back. You know, it complicates your relationship. Um, but our broken relationship with God is the source of our guilt. And the good news for us tonight is that God has made a way to restore that relationship. So uh, look with me, if you, if you will, in 2 Corinthians 5. It's on your sheet. This is a letter the, that the Apostle Paul wrote. This is, sort of, this is after Jesus has come and lived and died and been raised. And there's these series of letters then helping us understand what it means that Jesus has come and died and been raised. So read with me in 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 16. Listen, these are the very words of God. From now, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once rego- regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin. Who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's God's word. Let's ask for his blessing. Father, we thank you for your word. It's been it's been read, we've heard it, and that's really all we need uh, for you to change us, for you to show yourself to us, for you to show us who we really are. Um, But, Lord, because you're gracious, would you be with us now as we consider it together that we would see Jesus and through you, Lord Jesus, find the cure for our guilt. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, So, what do I do with my guilt? What do we do with our guilt? What I want you to walk away with tonight, knowing, is that Um, A restored relationship with God, the God who created each and every one of us, is the only real way to deal with our guilt. We all deal with guilt in different ways. Some of us deny it. Some of us numb it. Some of us pretend that it doesn't exist. But if you want to overcome guilt, you have to have a restored relationship with God, and he offers that in Jesus Christ. Now, the word for that mechanism by which we're made right with God is a 50-cent theological term. Uh, I don't throw around a lot of these, but this is one you need to know, whether you're a Christian or not. It's justification. 
Okay? Justification simply means this. That God has declared that everything is okay between you and him because of what Jesus has done. You got that? Simply put, God saying to you, we are okay because of Jesus. And as we unpack that together from this passage, I want us to see three things about justification. I'm a a little bit insecure because I put like an outline in the little bulletin thing. And so, you know, look busy writing. Um, But anyway, as you'll see, there's three things with clever fill in the blanks, right? Isn't that so smart? Um, The three things I want you to know about justification from this passage are that justification is necessary, that it is expensive, and that it brings true rest. So justification is necessary. I think that if you, if you went around campus, you know, there's a lot of varying opinions on whether God is there and if God is there, what he's like. But I think if you walked up to most people and you said, hey, the God of the Bible, the one that says that he is love, not that he's loving, but that he is love, and he really exists, and he really wants to have a love relationship with you, I think that most people would be like, yeah, I I want that, okay? I want to have that relationship with God. But according to the scripture and according to this passage, there's a problem. Okay, look with me in verse 18. Um, It says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. You only need reconciliation in a relationship where there's something wrong. Maybe you have felt or maybe you're feeling very strongly right now that you are in a broken relationship with your roommate or your boyfriend, girlfriend, or your parents, and there's a need for that relationship to be reconciled. But our relationship with God is broken by sin. Now, my daughter has a, uh, a little uh, children's Bible, and, and I love it. And the way that it describes sin is when we sin, we don't just break God's rules. We break God's heart. Um, sin is very personal for God. God has created the world. And we were just looking at this in the, at the Genesis Bible study on Tuesday. That he's created us as very special things. To bear his image. And to know him. And to love him. And to reflect everything that's great and beautiful and good about him back to him. And to be intimate and vulnerable with him. So every time that we choose to be selfish or hateful or violent... We're not just breaking some arbitrary rules that God set, but we're actually um, turning away from God and we have personally affronted. We've turned our back to him, given him the finger. And if, if you ever opened yourself up to somebody, and I know a lot of us have, and uh, you know, you're like, I'm, really, I'm going to be vulnerable with this person, whether that's physically or emotionally. I'm going to really just tell them about myself, be honest. And then they reject you. Um, then you have some idea of what we have done to God. Like, you know, in a sense, it's not the same, but there's that sense of feeling of rejection, of personal rejection. And so when we sin, we don't just break God's rules, we break God's heart. So justification, having our relationship made right with God, has to happen. Something has to come and fix that relationship. But how? How can a relationship that's complicated by guilt be fixed. Now, okay, so if you have any background at all or have heard anything about the Christian faith or if you're a believer, you're like, this is the part where God comes in and he forgives us. 
and this is how the relationship is fixed. And it's just nice. He just, he just lets it go, you know? He's like, yeah, you sinned, not good, but you know, we're just going to forget about that, and I'm going to forgive you. And by forgive, we mean he just pretends like it never happens. Um, but it's not that simple. Justification is necessary, but justification is also expensive. It costs something. Uh, how many of you know who Archbishop Desmond Tutu is, or you know that name? He is a um, black Anglican uh, archbishop in South Africa. Okay, and he was one of the main guys fighting apartheid in South Africa, which is government-sanctioned segregation uh, and the oppression of an entire race of people based on their skin color. So if there's somebody that knows something about having a broken relationship and restoration and forgiveness, it's Desmond Tutu. He's a godly man. This is what he says about reconciliation. True reconciliation is never cheap. For it is based on forgiveness, which is always costly. Forgiveness always costs us something. Um, Imagine it this way. Uh, Everyone here, I think, lives with roommates, which is a terrible idea, by the way. I say never live with somebody unless you're related to them. Um, Because then it's like you you have to, like, in some degree respect them. But if you know you're just not going to live together next year, you're just like, whatever. I'll just treat you like I want to. Of course, you all have to live with someone because you don't have the money to have a you know, studio apartment. But So imagine your roommate. Um, imagine you're living in an apartment. Okay, try really hard to imagine you're living in an apartment. And uh, let's say this roommate just leaves dishes everywhere. And not like a couple of dishes, but like the person that cooks, you know, like chili. And it's like the cans and the crock pot and the cheese, you know, that's braided, but then it's like on the counter. And uh, let's say this happens over and over and over again. They never clean it up. You always have to clean it up. Okay, so there's a rift in your relationship, right? There is guilt in your relationship because your roommate is a jerk. And so one of two things can happen. I'm getting this from Tim Keller, by the way, which was typical. Um, But one of two things can happen. Your roommate can either, you can make them clean it up. Like, if you want to have a relationship with me, and you want everything to be okay, you clean this up. Okay, so in a sense, they pay for it. Or you can forgive them and say, you know what? I forgive you. I'm, gonna let it, I'm just going to let it go. Somebody has to clean up the dishes, right? It doesn't just, the problem doesn't just go away. Somebody has to pay. They break your lamp. You can forgive them, but then you still have to pay For the lamp, someone always has to pay. Forgiveness always costs. But look look in verse 19. It says that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. But how can it happen? Like, how can it happen that God doesn't count our sins against us, yet it gets paid? This is where I want to dig down for the rest of our time in verse 21. Look what it says there. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus became sin. Jesus is God. He became a human being, an actual real life boy, and walked among us and lived life. Um, But he, unlike us, lived a perfect life. Not only did he never sin, 
Everything he did, everything he thought, everything he said, every way he interacted with people, everything he did by himself was always pleasing to God. But what he has done is as a perfect person, he has identified himself so much with our sin that Paul says he becomes sin. Uh, Business majors um, or anyone that's taken accounting, which everyone loves. And some people actually love that. And those people are weird. Um, But, okay, so accounting. Imagine it like uh, an invoice, okay? We have an invoice before God, right? Um, Everything that we've done has, in a sense, become a debt to God. And Jesus takes that invoice, everything that we've done, an invoice that we could not ever conceivably pay. And he takes the invoice, and where your name is written, he scratches it out, and he writes his name as if to say, this debt belongs to me. I have never sinned, he says, but this debt belongs to me. I take it upon myself. So that he says, I will get what they deserve. And so if you're, if you're wanting to understand what the cross is, like what's happening there, it's Jesus taking that debt and taking it and paying it in full by suffering, by taking God's wrath, by being separated from his love relationship with God. He takes what we deserve on himself and he pays it. So justification is a declaration, okay? It's a one-time declaration. And part of that declaration is God saying, because Jesus took that invoice and paid your debt, you are not guilty of your sin. It has been paid in full. It's been stamped, that invoice has been stamped, paid in full. And it's God saying to you, if you have faith in Christ, paid in full, it's done. But there's something that takes justification from that. And that's good news. That's really good news. Okay? For people with guilt. That means that guilt's been paid for. But what takes that from good news to like great, I need to tell everybody about it news is, is this second aspect of justification. And it's that justification brings true rest. Look at, at verse 21 again. For our, sake, uh, uh, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus takes something. He becomes sin. Right. But he also gives something. You see what the second half of that verse is. I mean, this is like if you're going to make a life verse. Okay, let me recommend this one to you. He, He made him sin so that we might become what? The righteousness of God. Imagine your life is like a taxi meter. You guys have ridden in a taxi before. I read today that taxis are the most uh, taxi drivers are the most likely to be killed at work. Via homicide. That one was free, so I could take that drink of water. Um, so imagine your life is like a ta- you have a taxi meter on your life. And if you're anything like me at all, um, most of the things, if not all the things you do, have some tinge of sin to them, if not like really obvious sort of under the surface. So... The things that you do are marked by selfishness or pride or getting what you want, right? And so imagine that as you go through your day, 
you make a hundred or more decisions every day. You do all kinds of things. You interact with all these people. And as you go, the meter is running. Okay? It's running. And it's accruing a debt before God. Right? And we're like, okay, that's the good thing. That's what Jesus takes away on the cross. And that's great. Now imagine Jesus' life. This is really hard to imagine. That, again, every thought, every word, everything he sat and just dwelled on in his heart, every interaction he had with anyone was not only not sinful, but God was like, yes, that is the very best thing. And that makes me happy and gives me glory and pleasure, okay? So imagine Jesus' meter is running, okay? But instead of accruing debt, and this is a little bit crude to, to put it this way, but he is acquiring credit with God. I mean, this is hard even to imagine. You know, you just kind of think... If Jesus was just going to come and pay for our sin, why did he have to live for like 30 years and we had no idea what he was doing all that time? Jesus, the meter was running. And everything that he was doing was acquiring a perfect righteousness before God that God loves and smiles on. And then he comes to us and he says, I'm going to give all that to you as a gift. Your balance was thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars overdrawn and my balance had millions of dollars and I'm just going to give it to you as a gift and if you're wondering why we talk about grace and we say this is a place about grace that's grace that Jesus gives you that perfect life as a gift so the declaration justification is a declaration not only that you aren't guilty but that you're fully righteous before God and That brings legitimate rest. Because everything God could ever have asked of you, Jesus did it. And He gives it to you. You didn't even ask for it. You didn't ask Him to do it. You didn't earn it. And it has nothing to do with you. Besides the fact that He loves you and wants you to have it. Um, So a, a a guy that works for RUF that used to do RUF at the University of Mississippi, which they prefer to be known as Ole Miss. And I struggle to understand why you would want your school to be referred to as the Ole something, um, but be that as it may. Um, he was working at Ole Miss, and uh, there was a student that was in RTC. Is there anyone in RTC? I know Alex, you're in RTC. Um, <laughs> do what? Okay, all right, cool. Good talk. Good talk. Um, so the student was an RTC student. So what that meant was that he was getting his college paid for at the University of Mississippi. In exchange for when he graduated, the day he graduates, he becomes an enlisted officer in the Army. And then has a four-year responsibility with the Army, right? You know how this, this works, right? I've never heard about this happening in any other situation. But I, I love to tell people about it because it's so cool. The day he graduated from college, whatever the position was that he was going into, they had enough. And instead of just like reassigning him somewhere else, when he graduated, he was simultaneously enlisted in the army as an officer and simultaneously honorably discharged from the army. And so what that means is, as far as anyone's concerned, this dude had a honorable military career. And he is, gets every benefit 
of being an honorably discharged member of the United States Army. He gets his college paid for. He gets insurance for the rest of his life. He gets a stipend. Everything. And if anyone was to come to him and say, you know, you get a lot of benefits. I don't recall you ever doing anything. He pulls out that declaration, that piece of paper from the U.S. Army, and says, it says right here that I was honorably discharged from the army. And so I have full rights to that. He did nothing to get it. Yet he has full rights. Jesus comes to us and gives us rest because it's not about what you did. It's not about what you're doing. It's not about what you're going to do. It's about what he has done. And he has given it to you all the rights and privileges of being a son or daughter of God, your creator, as a gift. This is what your justification, if you trust Jesus, this is what your justification is based on. The perfect life, perfect death, and perfect resurrection of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And it really has nothing to do with you. This is what your justification is not based on. How you feel right now about, about this. How you feel in a week. Because you might feel okay now, but in a week you're not feeling so good about it. Your justification is not based on that. Your justification isn't based on how well you're doing. How much victory you're having over some particular sin. It's not based on how much you get out of reading the Bible. It's not based on how well you are coping with your anxiety. It's not based on how well you stack up against the other person around you. It's not based on what your parents think about you. It's not based on what your girlfriend or boyfriend thinks about you. And it's not based on what your parents or teachers think, think about you. It's only based on what Jesus has done. And that is amazing. I mean, it's not the best news you've ever heard. God loves you because of absolutely nothing that you've done. Because you can't mess it up. Right? Um, my, I, my, I've been wearing this Patagonia fleece. Thank you, many of you, for noticing. And um, I love it as much as you do. And learned the term Patagucci from someone recently. And, I love it. and I've been eyeballing this, this, uh, this fleece for a long time. And I never bought it because it's like $80. And I have three small children, and I'm a minister. And so, like, just going to the to master general store and dropping 80 bones on a Patagonia fleece, I would have felt weird about it, okay? I would have felt selfish and strange. But for Christmas, my wife had saved up her money, and she bought this Patagonia fleece for me. And i got to be honest with you. I wear it with joy <laughs> because I didn't pay for it. And I just get to enjoy it to its fullest potential because she gave it to me as a gift out of love. Um, And it's not about me. Uh, Jesus comes to us and says, I want to put this on you as a gift so that you can enjoy and delight in me. Some some of you guys come here tonight and, and you're carrying a lot of guilt. And you're carrying a lot of shame and things are eating you up from the inside. And I don't know what it is. Some of you, I do know what it is. Um, But can I tell you tonight that if you know Jesus, if you're willing to just rest in that gift, that God is not ashamed of you. He is so happy 
with you. And whether you're realizing that and accepting that for the first time or for the first time in a long time, for a moment, can't you just feel the guilt lift off? It's not about us. It's about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have reconciled us to yourself through Jesus and that you have said to us definitively, we are guilty because of what Jesus has done and we are righteous because of what Jesus has done. And now you've entrusted us with the privilege of knowing that and of telling that. And Lord, surely many in the room have not felt and known the peace that they can have with you in Jesus. Would you work in our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen.